I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He he has no conscience and he uh, he shows no no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He uh, he's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years I've I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism. Facial tick gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. Welcome to Cinema Sugar Bobs. I'm your host, Dan, from SlipThroughMovies.com, bringing you sweet spoonfuls of movie news and reviews from a movie nerd who loves Lion King right alongside 28 Days Later. Aside from the usual three scoops of geeky goodness, there's this weekend in box office history, along with the special feature, Pitch This, proposing a remake, sequel, or adaptation that needs to hit the big screen. There's also the raised eyebrow segment with the review of the remake of Point Break. Let's dig in with our three scoops first, after a word from our sponsor. first scoop digs into the upcoming Akira remake, which seems to have been in the works forever. However, it looks like they got one step closer with the rumored involvement of a hot new director. Akira is a big-time cult classic out of Japan. This one came out in 1988, but became really big on home video in the following years, as more and more people got interested in the anime genre. While this is a cartoon movie, it's not for kids. This is grown-up subject matter conducted in a rated R fashion. The story is set in a future Tokyo where drugs control the emotions of the people and there's a lot of young gangs running around. Our hero gets sucked into a larger-than-life mystery that delves into sci-fi territory. I'm not going to ruin what happens, but this is a cautionary tale about evolution, technology, and humanity. While exploring the human nature, there's also a lot of action and excitement. This was also super stylized. The feature film adaptation has its work cut out for it to totally capture everything that's in this supremely influential anime feature from 1988. I don't know if Leonardo DiCaprio is still behind this, but I know years ago he bought the rights for his production company, Appian Way, and has been trying to get it off the ground ever since, with several directors circling the project earlier. News came out today that Fast Five Helmer, Justin Lin, has been approached to direct Akira. Lynn swerved out of the Fast and Furious series to direct Star Trek Beyond recently, so he's making a big name for himself, helming big-time franchises. While Akira may not be too well-known in North America, 
this is a chance for a overseas smash hit, which Hollywood has been looking at a whole lot more recently. As always, stay tuned for more news as it develops about this super awesome cult classic adaptation. Our next scoop digs into another log it development franchise trying to get the big screen remake. I'm talking about He-Man, a project that at one time I think Justin Lin was also attached to. Nowadays, it's being lined up by McGee, the director behind Charlie's Angels and Terminator Salvation. So right away, I'm a little cautious with this adaptation of the totally retro 80s cartoon He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Today news came out that Caleb Lutz from Twilight just may be the protector of Castle Grayskull. He just tweeted out a message about how He-Man is in great hands and how he just had a meeting with the producer and director. While this is a long way from production actors don't normally tweet when they're in negotiations it's usually when a deal is about to be announced he-bad was definitely a product of the 80s and it was made as much for merchandising as it was to entertain kids on tv there was tons of he-bad toys back in that totally cheesy decade and i definitely played with my fair share he-bad was so popular back in the day they made a movie of it, starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. That's right, the big bad Russian from Rocky, and one of the stars of The Expendables alongside Kalen Lutz. Let's chalk that up to nerdy coincidence. But that movie totally missed the mark. It brought He-Man to Earth instead of his distant fantasy land. I guess this was done to lower the budget but it really felt like a jip at the time. We wanted to see the whole cast of He-Man characters in the setting we were familiar with from the cartoon. Let's hope this new remake learns from the old ones mistakes. It's not like nowadays, it isn't a whole lot easier to envision these special effects wonderlands. While you think someone with a bigger profile like The Rock would be perfect for He-Man, perhaps it'll work better when there is a lesser known actor behind the role. Fingers crossed. But with McGee behind the picture, I'm thinking there's not going to be too much of an emphasis on character. I'm expecting over-the-top crazy action adventure. Our last scoop of the day digs into a new trailer for the sequel to The Mechanic from 2011, starring Jason Statham. The remake of the 1972 Charles Bronson flick was about a a conflicted hitman who makes his assignments look like accidents. And while Statham is known for his over-the-top action films like Transporter and Crank, the mechanic was a little more dialed back and grounded. The sequel looks to have found a perfect blend between the two. Statham returns as our hero and is forced back into the game when his girlfriend, played by Jessica Alba, is kidnapped by a cartel. To win her freedom, he's gotta pull off a list of assassinations. It looks like he teams up with one of the men on his hit list, played by Tommy Lee Jones, and they decide to turn the tables on the bad guys. 
this sort of straightforward action flick is kind of refreshing actually in today's overblown special effects blockbuster market. I like these retro feeling action flicks that are just about whooping some ass. Yeah, the trailer definitely conveys that sort of vibe. There's one really good action sequence highlighted in this first sneak peek, and that's where Statham's character heads for his target, who's in a huge skyscraper penthouse where it has a pool built over the edge, looking down thousands of feet below. Statham plans to infiltrate this penthouse from under the pool. That means scaling the building Mission Impossible style and exploding the pool from underneath. And this looked truly epic, feeling like Statham's Fast and Furious stuff. And like that super popular franchise, this should be a lot of fun if you just want to turn off your braid and blow off some steam. I don't know if it'll make the sort of money that a Fast and Furious does, but it should fill a gap that sorely needed it. Retro action fans, stay tuned for Mechanic Resurrection. Before we get into our Saturday special features, let's dig into some trivia. What was Jason Statham's first Hollywood movie? Put those movie nerd thinking caps on and stay tuned for the answer near the end of the show. Now, a word from our sponsor. When they come alive, evil can't survive. Gargoyles! Disguised as a gargoyle, the evil Xanatos swoops into attack. But mighty Goliath breaks free. Lexington fires. And heroic Brooklyn charges into battle on the Ripping Rider cycle. Get him! Xanatos is stunned. And Goliath flies in to unmask him. Not you, Xanatos! When gargoyles come alive, evil can't survive. Gargoyles, Goliath, Brooklyn, Lexington, Xanatos. Other figures and vehicles eat sold separately. Lots not included. Alright, it's time for this weekend in box office history, shining a bright dirty light on the best opening weekends since 1980. The podcast edition is streamlined. If you want the real deal, hop on over to the website, slipthroughmovies.com. With this special feature article, I like to highlight 10 movies you don't want to slip through the cracks. The first one I want to recommend debuted in 1997. I'm talking about Face Off, starring John Travolta and Nick Cage. This over-the-top John Woo action flick opened with $23 million and finished with $112 million overall domestically. And that was pretty good for an original popcorn-munching action film. The 90s weren't full of sequels, franchises, or universes. Uh, standalone film had a better chance to make it big and at the time Travolta, Cage and Wu were big names on the rise. Travolta was seeing a resurgence from Pulp Fiction and Cage was getting a lot of note for his character work in stuff like Leaving Las Vegas and John Wu was coming hot out of Hog Kong where he had the amazing cult classics The Killer and hard-boiled under his belt. He never really made the transition to America, and neither did his action hero Chow Yun-Fat, but these two were some of the best the action genre had to offer, and Face Off would be John Woo's best American film. The concept is definitely out there, and you have to go along for the ride, 
This is one of those scenarios where the actors switch character, not like a body swap sort of way, like the change-up or something, but with plastic surgery, and this allowed for Cage and Travolta to mimic each other with their performances in a few standout scenes. Along with the sort of sci-fi concept and over-the-top action, there was also a lot of fun from the black humor. Looking back on the era, Face Off is a great example of a 90s action flick done right, and it captures the charm of the decade. When you want a super stylish, super intense action flick, check out Face Off. For my next recommendation, I'm looking at 1989's family adventure, Huddy, I Shrunk the Kids, which opened to $14 million and finished with 131 overall. This That's So 80s hit starred Rick Moranis, Canadian comedian from SCTV, who stole some of the show in Ghostbusters. In this special effects-filled adventure, Moranis plays the father to children who accidentally shrink themselves using one of his strange inventions. They get lost in the backyard, but what may seem small to us is an incredible journey for our pint-sized heroes. As a kid back then, this was one of my favorite movies uh, in the VHS era, and a lot of it had to do with imagination. That is, imagining you were small and could go play in your backyard in the same way, where cookies were the size of houses, and you could ride an ant like an elephant. Like a lot of 80s stuff, there's a good family message underneath it all, and the excitement is tons of fun. When you're in the mood for an inventive, charming 80s classic, put on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. My next recommendation is 1998's Out of Sight, opening with 12 million and finishing with 38 overall. This one starred George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez back in the day before they were huge names. This is based on an Elmore letter book and would see Michael Keaton's character pop up in Tarantino's lettered adaption, Jackie Brown. So it's got that same sort of vibe where our story is told in the criminal underworld with really interesting characters making unexpected choices. If you're a fan of indie cinema and haven't checked out Out of Sight, now's a good time. The talent behind it should be enough to spark your interest, and the less you know about the plot, the better the mystery will be. The last movie I want to point out this weekend in box office history is the 2003 cult classic, 28 Days Later. It opened with $10 million and finished with $45 million overall. This re-envisioning of the zombie genre was directed by Oscar-nominated director Danny Boyle, the guy behind stuff like Train Spotting, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, and most recently, Steve Jobs. He's done a little bit of everything, and who'd have thought he'd be so good with the horror genre? 28 Days Later is probably the most intense zombie film ever. Although it's not The Walking Dead like you would uh, imagine, this is a more realistic take on the genre where humans are infected by a sort of rage virus and can't control their anger and lose all their humanity. Like The Walking Dead though, our story begins when our hero wakes up out of a coma in the hospital 
to find it totally abandoned and he's in the center of a zombie apocalypse. It seems like he's the only survivor left and as he takes to the streets there's a lot of haunting imagery that really makes it feel like the apocalypse would look like. Once he finds some survivors the adventure begins where he has to survive this new world. Like a lot of great zombie films it has a message underneath it all and part of it is that humans might be the worst monster around. Stylistically this one is filmed on digital back in the day when this was a new thing. The access to less equipment, no lighting, smaller cameras made 28 Days Later feel unlike any other horror movie. Uh, It blended a documentary style but also felt like a horror movie. This is one of the best zombie movies ever made and it all comes down to execution from the style to the story to the performances. This one stars Killian Murphy and is written by Alex Garland, the guy behind Ex Machina. Hope you enjoyed this weekend of box office history and tune in next week for another dose. Alright, so every Saturday I like to stretch the creative muscles and hit you with the special feature pitch this proposing a remake sequel or adaptation that needs to hit the big screen every now and then i like to propose an original idea i've been writing screenplays for fun for years now more as a hobby and because it's fun and because i'm super movie nerdy this segment quickly lays out the idea for a proposed film today i'm pitching celestial bedwit the crevice reaches This is an original sci-fi fantasy adventure. The story kicks off right in the middle of action when invading spaceships attack our heroes. There's been peace for so long that the enemy has become mythical, but now a generation after their defeat, they return. And it's up to a new generation of heroes to save the galaxy. Although it's got that futuristic sci-fi setting some of the culture and combat is more mystical and ancient like buddhist monks i'm thinking shaolin style the kind of monks who know how to fight and in this fantasy universe these warriors are called shiduani their weapon of choice is a chikris blade made of precious metals A lot of the inspiration comes from Star Wars because originally this idea started off as a spec script for Episode 7, years before its release. It was a way to encourage readers to check out my scripts and get some feedback on uh, some screenplay sites, and it worked rather well. After its positive reception, I decided to adapt it into an original property. So this proposed movie here would be the first in a trilogy. I never tackled this sort of genre or this sort of huge universe before so it was pretty fun i never did a spec script for previously existing material it was a good exercise in a few ways it had a lot of challenges adapting it into original content to try and make it not feel like a star wars ripoff but it would have that same spirit and sense of adventure our new heroes in this one would be a young man who discovers the special abilities hidden within him and a spiritual warrior who discovers the good in her heart. The MacGuffin for this story 
is that both sides are looking for a mythical hero of legend. With so many big-budget movies like this adapted on previous material, it'd be good to see more original stuff like Fifth Element, which was a rarity in itself. Where The Force Awakens debuted, it blew away the box office. It proved that we like this big-scale adventure. The original Star Wars did the same thing, except it borrowed from a lot of influences, like mixing World War II dogfights with Buddhism-like spirituality, swashbuckling pirate pulpy cliffhangers, samurai films, comic books with telekinetic powers. George Lucas borrowed a bit from everywhere, kind of like Tarantino does, brews it all up in a cauldron to make one tasty dish. That's what I hope to do with this universe called Celestial Bedouin. I was sure to borrow a lot of the hero journey tropes from Joseph Campbell just like Star Wars did and I was sure to throw in every type of character so aside from the action and adventure there is some drama and there is some comedy and uh, I have a lot of fun playing up the goofy aspects with this adventure as well but I also wanted to make sure it had some stakes and was a little bit challenging for the audience if you're curious for more I might be releasing this in a audio format like a play on the radio back in the day. But for now, you could check out the Star Wars spec script on my screenplay portal, thelastfountain.wordpress.com. Over there, I got a few screenplays in the experimental picture play format with music and images to help make the scrolling a little bit more entertaining. If you want to know more about the original adaptation of that spec script, let me know. I could outline the story in a bit more detail in an upcoming edition of Pitch This. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you want to hear an audio version of this screenplay. Before we get into our last special features segment, let's have another word from our sponsor. slinky in a size and color you like in metal or plastic let's close out this episode with our daily special features segment the raised eyebrow for movie news that makes you go what today i got a review of the remake of point break the 90s cult classic action flick starring keanu reeves and patrick swayze directed by Catherine bigelow the helmer of Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. This remake isn't a shot-for-shot, scene-for-scene retread of the original, and that's probably a good thing, although it does have a few homages to the 90s classic. The new one stars Luke Bracey and Edgar Ramirez, two actors that aren't all that familiar, although Ramirez has been in some noteworthy roles like the miniseries Carlos. Here he doesn't exactly get to flex his his acting muscles too much. 
but this is a turn your brain off action flick so you're not expecting that kind of stuff here you just want to turn off your brain and have some fun and this movie is filled with stunt sequences and a lot of it is pretty exciting our hero johnny utah has a little different origin story in the remake uh, more based on a tragedy this creates an arc for his character development he's got to overcome this and forgive himself and this movie has more of a focus on spirituality than you may think uh, this is what inspires the bad guy of this story and this one's got a pretty fun concept underneath it there's these eight extreme trials of adventure to gain a sort of spiritual nirvana our bad guys are trying to complete these uh, eight obstacles that was probably a like a standalone movie that they decided to turn into a point break remake because the the whole bank robbing stuff kind of feels forced and that's what ties it into point break territory the movie was working well enough for its first two acts but by the time it got to the end it kind of lost its impact those that are fans of the original point break remember the finale with the waves and here it's a totally lost opportunity Um, there isn't even a scuffle between the two so it definitely stripped that scene of the weight that's the whole point of this story for me it kind of went off the rails when utah revealed he was an fbi agent to Bodhi. Uh, for me they could have just done it where utah raises his gun and Bodhi says i knew since paris then he detonates the explosion and we're into that rock slide action sequence and would leave the audience on their toes a bit more than the way it's done in the actual movie because at this point we don't know if Bodie knows Utah is undercover for Utah to outright say I'm an FBI agent that isn't the most dramatic or conflict filled scenario instead it'd be better if he drew his gun and we'd be wondering what Bodie's thinking like why did he pull a gun on me why did my partner do this all of a sudden and that's when it would be revealed that he already knew he's been kind of playing this chess game several moves ahead and that would be a bit more exciting and then when the explosion comes and the rock starts sliding we'd want our hero to not only arrest the bad guy but talk to him and figure out how he knew this is just a little thing but it's just an example of one way they could have easily remedied uh, one of the problems of which there are several I imagine if I hadn't seen the original Point Break, this might be a bit more exciting and feel a bit more fresh. But really, nothing beats the original. It's one of the best action flicks of the 90s and, depending on your circle, an extremely guilty pleasure. After all, some people consider it so bad it's good. This remake, I'm thinking a lot of people will think it's just so bad it's bad. If you're curious about Point Break, it may be worth the rental or worth the wait for it to hit Netflix or something. And for fans of the original, it's hard not to compare the two, but it's worth checking out just to satisfy that morbid curiosity. Before I go, here's a answer for that earlier bit of trivia, where I asked 
what was Jason Statham's first Hollywood movie? If you guessed 2001's Ghosts of Mars, you thought right. This John Carpenter B-movie done right starred Ice Cube and Natasha Headstrich, but also had room for a co-starring role from Jason Statham coming out of the UK from Guy Ritchie movies like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. You may have thought the Jet Li movie, The One, was his first movie like I did, but that debuted a few months after and showed us just how much ass Statham could kick. That about does it, folks. Thanks for listening to Cinema Sugar Bombs. Stay tuned for Monday, where I'll break down the latest DVD and Blu-ray releases, as well as review the season finale of Game of Thrones. Until then, stay rad. Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. What a... Infected with lips. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. The blood. There's something in the blood. Someone. You never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? And you travel during daylight. Yes, you've got no choice. See, this is a really shit idea. You know why? This is obviously a shit idea. We have to leave now. More will be coming. They always do.